When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Final hour is here, Friday edition from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw beer and old smoky moonshine, they make it happen for us. Glad you're with us over the next hour, jam-packed with discussion on the Titans and Bengals. We'll give our picks on the other three games as well and matchups to watch out for. Three keys, massive keys for the Titans to follow if they want to win over Cincinnati in advance to host the AFC Championship game and everything in between. You can join the show in the YouTube chat. You can also join us on Twitter at Outkick360 is how you can interact with us. The news in Nashville is big, and we knew it was coming. Derrick Henry officially back on the Titans active roster. He is going to play tomorrow, and uh, he's going to suit up and, and be in that Titans offense at Nissan Stadium tomorrow afternoon against the Cincinnati Bengals. The question is, what to expect from Derrick Henry. We've been discussing it all week and really for the last couple of weeks on what his debut would be like, when it would occur, and what to expect. This offense, we know, can run the football, but the explosive aspects of what he can bring back to this offense and to Todd Downing's play calling, that's what I'm intrigued by the most, Paul. Well, here's part of what he can do, I think, that, that will have a bearing on the passing game. Hendrickson's coming off a con- concussion. Uh, Hubbard, Hubbard is a good player on the other side, the two edge rushers. But because the Bengals are weakened in the middle, Joby out, uh, other guys dinged up there and maybe limited or not themselves, um, and Blake Bettingfield, the, the former Titan scout who writes for my site posed this, and I've been contemplating it, and I think it's it's very significant element to this game. If, if Hendrickson and Hubbard have to defend the run a lot, which they probably will, you tire them out, be it Henry or Foreman, and that takes away some of their rush capacity, particularly late in the game. And that's something that the Titans, uh, we maybe don't give them enough credit for overall in, as, a, as a result of the scheme. You think of a team getting tired out, defending the run, failing against the run late. You know, this Derrick Henry wears you down and ultimately pops one in the fourth quarter. But we don't think of it very often as those guys are tired out and worn down in terms of their ability to rush as effectively in the fourth quarter. And I think we could look for maybe an element of that in this, in this game, which would benefit Derrick Henry and would benefit Ryan Tannehill and would benefit Taylor Lewan and would benefit David Questenberry and, and anybody who's involved in trying to stop the pass rush. I wonder, too, about the, the options here of Cincinnati being a bit over-aggressive against the run. And let me explain, and, and this would come early in the game, but where play action can really – and, and, and Tannehill is excellent at play action, especially on second down in years past. Going back to last year, he was great on play action passing 
with accuracy and, and then the receivers with yards after catch on second down. Uh, and that'll be part of my keys coming up uh, and how they get to that point. But first and foremost, it starts with, I think, Cincinnati bearing down to stop the run. They, they have been hearing and discussing and they've been asked all about Henry all week long. Um, they've been watching clips of you know everybody retweeting all the local media's videos of him from the last couple of weeks and, and this week. We've been discussing whether or not he's going to play. Everyone knew he's going to play, or at least I hope they did. Um, but it's, it's kind of like the, the cold, and let me try to equate this, the cold weather in Green Bay and why people think it's going to have a mental edge for Green Bay over San Francisco. Both players on opposite sidelines are cold. One of them doesn't talk about it every day leading up to a game while the other locker room does. And, you know, you can be on a sideline in Kansas City, for instance. I was not every week. But the sideline reporters there are probably used to bundling up and dealing with it. I was not on that particular day. And it was still the coldest I've ever been. And you mentally, you're thinking about it. Even when you get off the bus and the chill hits you, you're thinking about it. I think in some ways there's a mental aspect to the Henry return as well on the opposite sideline. The Titans have been watching Henry practice for the last couple of weeks the, the players started bringing him up without even being asked specifically about Henry after the Miami win, which is their last home game prior to the postseason. Uh, Lawan was bringing it up when he was asked about Deontay Foreman. That's because Henry was working by himself and running during practice, and they could see he was coming back. They, they've known for a couple of weeks when the postseason started, whenever it started, he was going to be available. Paul, I wonder... And I think it's different if Deontay Foreman's starting this game, and he's not. It's going to be Henry. But if Deontay Foreman's in the backfield, yeah, it's part of the game plan to stop the Titans' run, and they're a run-first team, and they're going to hand the football off a lot regardless of who's in the backfield. But I think you creep up a little extra, and you, you pay more attention to 22 early in the game because, again, going into it, you've been discussing it all week long. It's been stressed for you since you got done celebrating your first win in 31 years in the postseason and your head coach got back to the facility after handing out game balls to local bars, you start prepping for him. And I think that does play a bit of an edge early. Now, it's not like he he comes out and he runs for 70 yards on the first carry every time he touches the football. Sometimes it's slow pace that pays off towards the end. But that's where I'm getting to the play action. I think you can use that to your advantage where you've got some linebackers that bite on play action a little harder because, again, they've been geared on stopping Henry and that physical tone that he brings with every time he touches the football. Well, I'd love to see hard play action on the first play of the game. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I think – I don't. Maybe um, I'm overselling it a bit, but, again, like they, they've, no, been asking, they've been having to answer questions about Henry, and even before he's been activated, their defensive players have, have, have said he's going to be the toughest back they've faced all year. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that's been the case for uh, every team that's faced Derrick Henry for the last for every game the last two years. Um, so I don't know that it's that different than that, other than they don't have recent film on him. So that maybe there's a little bit in your head like, geez, we're we're talking about this guy and there's no no film on him for the last eight weeks. Um, so you know maybe it's a little weird in your head like that. Here's like, yeah, and, and maybe, but again, like I just, I, I think if you talk about something over and over going into a matchup and then you line up across from the guy. What you talk about, you bring about. Yeah, you bring the it. The secret. Yeah. I, another factor in this game 
that we we haven't seen or felt in the city in years. And I, I'm even going back prior to the 2008 season. I think tomorrow the home field advantage has a chance to be as loud as we've heard the stadium since the late 90s, early 2000s. Because at, at 2001, 2, 2003, and then you didn't hear about the Titan Stadium being one of the loudest stadiums in the country anymore. You know, that went away. And they it, kept saying it for it about did, five It didn't years. come back in 2008. Um, and the Titans didn't help themselves in that divisional round in 2009 coming off that year where they laid a dud against Baltimore. There was nothing to cheer about in that game. Point being, I think when Henry comes out of the tunnel, that stadium will be as loud as we've heard it since, you know, maybe uh, the opening day when the Bengals played the, the Tennessee Titans in the first regular season game in the stadium's history. I mean, I don't think there's been a comparable moment um, which is not a bad thing for the stadium. It's a, it's a good thing that you haven't had a comparable moment where your best player's been out for eight weeks, nine weeks, um, and he's returning, and so you're giving him a, a massive uh, greeting uh, introduction. But I, I don't think there's been anything comparable to that in terms of anticipation and welcome. Think about that. Uh, th- think about it. I mean, th- there was a kid yodeler that sang the national anthem that was – Highly anticipated by by some people. I, I, I'm joking know, there to yeah. say that's the the you kind of thing that happens. You don't have to drum up anything here. Like, think yeah, about there's the, no drumming up. It's the, authentic. The fans do it themselves because of what, like to me, the scenario is, and they they, they don't control one piece of this. Henry is. They're going to announce the offense. Henry's announced. The place is nuts. You win the toss. You defer, and the first snap is with Cincinnati on offense, that stadium will be as loud, loud as we have heard it in maybe 20 years. And I'm not exaggerating that. And I know there are a lot of people who are trying to coordinate the slamming of seats during uh, Henry's, to, to maximize the noise, as Henry's announced the slamming of the seat in front of you. And, you know... Uh, Which uh, makes a I, pretty good sound, I'm told. Yeah, and I, I hope that they, they are able to pull that off because that, that place will rumble. The other factor as to why I'm so confident in the atmosphere is the Chiefs and Bills aren't playing here this week. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. Next week may be a different story. But I, you know, all week I haven't seen many Cincy fans walking around. And sometimes we see the visiting fan base that floods into 6th and Peabody here where we broadcast from because it's an easy spot before you go down to Broadway. No tiger stripes in here today. Haven't seen anything like that. And, and I think that also plays a factor. This is going to be uh, 70,000 of the vast majority being in in the Titans blue. I will say this. I I understand the Titans' efforts to prevent it from happening. If there are Cincinnati fans with sufficient funds who want in here, it's not going to be in the numbers of the Bills fans or the Chiefs fans or the Raiders fans, but they will find their way in. And this idea, like that, they've come up with some revolutionary concept that you can't uh, you can't exchange tickets until the final twenty four hours will only confuse the dumbest fans in history. If I want to sell you a ticket and you want to buy it and that restriction's in order, we can make an arrangement to swap the ticket in the last 24 hours. It's, it's not that big of an obstacle. It can't, but, but what it, the obstacle is if you're trying to travel here, you're making plans in advance. Right. You don't so have we your tickets the, in hand until Right. So we negotiate now. in good faith, and if we're, you know, you have to find trustworthy people that you're dealing with, but once you do that, you know, and I think most NFL fans who are trying to help each other out and make a profit and get a ticket, 
strike. Uh, there is a there are a lot of deals struck between people like that. And while fans are rivals, they also uh, are are of a similar ilk when they're making deals like that. In my experience, and I I have a lot of them who are members of my site who who make deals. They're usually on the same side. But I I, I understand the Titans are pressing to to get. This is a good example of the kind of game where. You would hope not many people are selling it. But also, if you're funding your mortgage payment on it, there are going to be some people who fund their mortgage payment. Well, the mortgage payment's next week because according to Chiefs and Bills fans on message boards, I haven't read the message boards. I'm, I'm listening to fans who partake in this. Yeah. They say that those fan bases are already boasting, already boasting about what owning. Got. You know, They've got their hotel rooms reserved. They've got their flight booked, whatever they're doing. And... They're preparing to come to the AFC Championship game. Uh, if they win this weekend, they advance to Nashville, and they're they're fully prepared uh, to take over the stadium. And look, Bills and Chiefs fans did it already this year. Um, the the Bengals were not doing that whenever they play here, and and that's that's why I'm so um, energized by the atmosphere we're going to have tomorrow. Is because Paul that. We haven't seen that type of energy in a long time. Yes, and if it is, as we expect, minimal Bengals fans in there, I think that it will give the fan base and the team a snapshot of what it can be. Now, the team is working hard. I, I think it's a complicated situation. You know, They're selling tickets to people and then really trying to restrict what they can do with the tickets, which I think you, know, you can only write so much into the contract. It's a free market economy. Once I buy a ticket and it's my property, I can do with it what I want. You've got to find some creative ways to win me over in a way where I'm not going to sell it to pay my to pay my mortgage when you get good and make it a thing where I've got to be there. And that's a long-term project, and I'm sympathetic to all the strains of that. But tomorrow, you're very right. We may see a snapshot of what that will be when, with the right opponent or in another generation you know, ultimately when you're not, you just can't get in if you're, whether you're Kansas city or Buffalo or not. Sometimes, you know, superstars just, you just know they're rising to the occasion. AJ Brown's one of them. I'm no doubt this guy's going to come out and perform well uh, against the Bengals or week to week, just period. I feel the same way tomorrow about, about Henry. I think he's ready to go. I don't think he comes back and has this mindset of him splitting carries with anybody. Um, the Titans decide that, but Henry decided he was staying in the game in Indy. Their best player uh, broke his foot, and while they didn't know it was broken, they didn't try to slow him down either. They put him on the field, and they gave him the football, and he ran with a broken foot as Look, they, they won on bad. the road at he Indy. bad, and they kept going. Yeah, just they kept giving it to him. I, I, I'm really intrigued by his impact and use tomorrow because I think mentally he's ready to go. And Oh, I don't doubt that. They, I think Cincinnati determines this. I, I, I think a little too, Paul, that I think physically um, I, I, I feel like he's, he, would, he would have played last week in the wild card round if, if they were in oh, and, and, so and they lost in Houston. I think, I think the so extra too. week pays off here, and I think he's a factor. I think many people think he's, he's like splitting carries to Deontay Foreman and – it's a you know ten type carry game. I I don't think it's that at all. I think they they actually put on the field their first team offense for the first time in a long time all together, and they go with it. 
Yeah, we didn't see it during training camp, and uh, and like you, you put the numbers together. Ten point seven percent of the time, these three have been together: Brown, Henry Jones, uh, and that doesn't even account for who may have been missing when they were on the field together. When they were on the field together, Luan might not have been out there. When they were on the field. Saffold may not have been out there. When they were on the field, who else might have been missing? You know, there, there were other parts that, that have been in and out of, of the lineup. It's, you know, I, I'm not suggesting, a lot of people thought this, that they were, you know, at times saving Jones. I don't think they were saving Jones. But I do think that they, they, they fortune has helped them align Jones for now. I don't expect much from him, but his presence is better than any alternative at that second receiving spot. And we need to see what the triumvirate does. We thought the wait would be for opening day. Really, the wait has wound up for opening day of the playoffs. Coming up, keys for the Titans to get a win over the Cincinnati Bengals, and we'll tie in some keys for the Bengals as well, where if they accomplish these, they they win the game. But there's a bonus that I'll throw in at the end um, that involves – guys like Julio Jones um, and Todd Downing and what he's able to work with tomorrow that he hasn't had all but for 120 snaps of 1,133 on the season. We will get into the keys. We'll predict uh, the other games, other matchups across the league and lead into what's going to be a fun football weekend across the NFL on OutKick 360. Hit us up on Twitter, at OutKick360. Shout out to everybody making the show happen for us. The chairman of the board is David Reed. Jakob Swanson and Jonathan Moulton make the show happen for us on the video end. Dylan Taylor does it all. He can do it all. Tony from L.A. is in town, so you know it's a big game. Yes. Who called David Dennis that I picked up on that frequently called No, you, you called him Dennis Reed. Dennis Reed is... No, it was, uh, it was Titans woman that we were talking about yesterday. Wanda... Thought my name was Dennis. Dennis. Oh, really? She thinks because Chad of, of is the serial a killer, Paul Dennis Reed. The, the, <laughs> there's a Dennis Reed growing up, that. Paul. Uh, they were chasing this guy locally in, in Clarksville, I believe. Uh, it was all it was all over in Middle. He Tennessee. murdered like th- uh, three or four people in Arby's. Captain yeah, Deese. no, and he had Captain some. Deese, I, I'm getting look, all these. Details. I know the stories well yeah. because some, when Reed, someone calls you, story. and I don't he need had that, some connection in Texas. Because when someone calls you a serial killer, you do all your research. He had some connection in Texas, correct? Uh, yes. Okay, so <laughs> some of the stuff surfaced in the late 90s, right? Some yes. of his case. Because mm-hmm. so I was working for the Tennessean, and I was down uh, in, in Houston. And so whatever was breaking at that time, there were papers, uh, records in Texas. And so they called me in Houston and sent me to the courthouse. And I was digging up all this stuff on him. And photocopying wow. it and faxing it back here. So I was part of the Tennesseans' investigation and research into this guy. Look at so us. So I was connected to Dennis Reed before all I All these met years later. David Reed. I'm envisioning Paul in the, next, in the sequel to All the President's Men. Gonna, <laughs> I'm Xeroxing copies and faxing it back to the paper. Paul's, have you, uh, it gave me something to do. Have you ever been? I'm, I'm imagining a very smoky room then, too, for some reason. It, it, was, it wasn't smoky, but it had like those, those tinted windows. The white tinted, frosted window. Have you ever been to a Captain D's? Yes. Captain <laughs> okay. D's was big in New Jersey. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's big everywhere, Reed. So I, I honestly had no idea there was Captain D's outside of the South. So there were, there were two guys that were from close to my hometown, one of whom I went to high school with, and one who went to Woodbridge High School in New Jersey. And one played for my school, Columbia. And 
and the one who played for Brown, I was friends with from high school. So I wrote a story for them uh, for my hometown paper. And they were talking about home. And he's like, how could you even think that that's a legitimate town? You don't have a Captain D's there. <laughs> <laughs> that was his dig on the other guy. Now it's Whataburger. Yeah. Now, now Reed, now Reed's uh, dig is Whataburger. Mm. You ever have? You even have a Whataburger? Reed's not a big fan for those uh, just joining us. Yeah, I think it's still doing pretty well without Reed's businesses. It's really saying aligned. something because if you get Reed on your side, you are going to crush. Uh, keys for a Titans victory over the Bengals, and honestly, you could reverse it uh, because if the Bengals accomplish a couple of these things, they're winning the game. Um, and, and let's start with key number one. They've got to uh, find a way to get pressure on Burrow without blitzing. And um, I did a piece for OutKick uh, through their YouTube channel. Shout out Becca Risley for making it happen. Um, where I'm going in further detail on every key here. But long story short, Burrow is better than you may think against the blitz. When he's pressured, and he's been pressured a lot, he's been sacked 51 times. 25 times in the final six regular season games. But if you can get pressure with four and cover with seven, the passer rating drops. Uh, he goes from ninth in the league to around 18th in the league. That's a significant difference in a matchup like this uh, if you can get pressure on him. And, and, the Titans and, and you can sack him too. It's not just about pressure, but get him on the ground. And the Titans haven't blitzed a lot even when they've failed to get pressure with their four. They just keep working with well, their four, but they haven't often brought a lot of extra guys. They have the 10th lowest blitz rate of any defense in the league. So this is right up there. This is playing right. into because what they do they well. they know if they bring extra people on blitzes, yeah, we might get home, but if we don't get home, we're going to get burnt. Well, and, and to further the storyline of that, so they have the 10th lowest blitz rate, and then Pro Football Focus has something called simulated pressure rate. And their pressure rate is number one in the NFL at 26.8% of all rush. Well, to me, that's even a bit lower than what it might be in, in reality because they're just now starting to, over the last month to get a healthy Bud Dupree. And now they've got Zach Cunningham. And while Cunningham's not known for rushing the passer, he's more of a run stuffer, I do think he plays a factor in the intermediate routes at the linebacker position. And he's made some really nice plays on screens and other things off the edge where you're trying to get a hot route with the, with the blitz coming. So Might I, make I a think, quarterback hesitate. I think they can actually be better than that uh, as they take the field. Um, Burrow. Against a five more uh, man rush or a five man rush or more, ninth in passer rating, four or fewer, he's seventeenth. And Zach Taylor's just aggressive against the blitz. I mean, far more aggressive. They're averaging a league high ten and a half yards per attempt whenever Burrow is blitzed. And the Titans do a really nice job of mixing their coverages. Um, and this is where Shane Bowen, I think, deserves some credit. I think they can mix and match some coverages and also get the pass rush consistent with four to get a turnover or two, and that's something Burrow's been doing well. He's, not, he's protecting the football really well. But I think there's, there's advantage Titans here in a way, but they've got to make it happen with four and not be forced to bring the extra man. And I, I should bring this up too. The Bengals' offense is far more explosive now than where they were to begin the season. First 11 games of the season, Paul. 28 completions for 20 or more yards. That's through 11 games. Um, I take that back. 35. 35 completions for 20 or more yards through 11 games. 
final six games of the season, 28 completions. They're far more explosive in a much more confined group of games over the month of November and December. Well, Burrow had that patch where he on fire. Wasn't, wasn't terrific, and then he, and he really lifted They've turned game. it on. Um, so, again, uh, not blitzing, mixing your coverages, limiting the explosive plays. Number two, the ground game. It's an obvious key. Henry's back, but it's, it's more than that because I'm going to get specific on the second key, and it's winning the first down runs. And this goes for both offenses because the Titans want to maintain time of possession. They want longer drives. They'll take any score, but they want longer drives to keep Burrow and Chase and everyone else on the sideline and limit possessions in this game. Um, Cincinnati's run defense. A lot of people are saying Cincinnati's built to stop the run just like the Titans are. That may well be true, and we'll find out tomorrow. But in recent games where there have been true four-quarter games and not these blowouts like we saw to Baltimore or like we saw to Pittsburgh, I'm taking those out. I'm, I'm taking out um, you know, some of the other big high-flying acts that Burrow and Chase have put on. When the games have been four-quarter games, the Cincinnati defense has allowed 205 yards, 155 yards, 133 yards, 103 yards, 100 yards. And again, I think the Raiders could have had more success if they just stick with it a week ago. Um, the season-long numbers look good. But I'm not just glancing at September or glancing at a matchup with Baltimore. And I think tomorrow ends up being a four-quarter game, much like this, where the Titans stick with the run. And the first down runs. Let's flip it. Let's look at Cincinnati. Joe Mixon led the NFL for carries on first down. 184 carries came on first down for Joe Mixon. 115 of those 184, so 63% of the time, he gained three yards or more. And while that may sound insignificant, that puts you in second and seven or less. And that is massive for play action. It's massive for Burrow because it, it puts you in a second down situation where the defense doesn't necessarily know if you're going to run or pass in second and seven. But especially on the flip side of that. First down runs for the Titans, second or seven or less. That sets you up for play action because you can use the run game to your advantage. And that's where Henry plays a big factor in this. Henry missed half the season, and he still finished with 131 carries on first down. And Paul, on 57 of those, he went for three yards or more. So can they gain some early traction on first down that sets them up for Tannehill on second and seven less? And that's where he was extremely accurate in 2020. The play action has not been there this year, uh, due in large part to all the injuries. But now this group is back, and I'm looking for first down runs to be a, a massive point of emphasis for both offenses tomorrow whenever they kick off. Yeah, I mean, the Titans' defense. Titans have faced the same defense, really, that they faced with Henry once Henry went out. Um, but the play action game didn't, didn't really – stay the same and there are a variety of elements in in why they haven't been as good a play action team um receivers haven't been as good uh partially due to injuries partially due to lack of depth um desertion with with reynolds hurting the depth yep um marcus johnson goes down etc cetera, etc cetera. uh pass protection um, an, an issue far too frequently this season. Tannehill's decisiveness that hasn't seemed this, the same. Um, and I think the uh, while the run game has been as good a, a lot of the time, 
um, you know, the home run threat's not been the same. And the um, clearly in play action somehow it, it's made a difference. If they can be good at play action, it will, it will have a huge bearing um, on, on their results uh, in this game and beyond. Earlier this week, and leading my key number three, earlier this week I was looking up red zone offenses for the entire postseason just to see which offenses were the tops in the red zone. And what struck me is that Cincinnati doesn't reach the red zone all that often, but they're extremely explosive. And to put that in perspective, they lead the NFL in touchdown plays of 20 yards or more, and they also lead in that category for 40 or more yards I mean, going that for touchdowns. Is, that is great news for them looking at the Titans for how good the Titans defend the red zone. Exactly. If you're scoring from outside the red zone, the Titans don't have time to buckle down in the red zone. So the, the key is, you know, what happens in red zone offense, the Titans have to get them there, and we've stressed all week, and everyone has, you know, limiting the explosive plays. But let's, let's dive just a layer deeper. And if you limit the explosive plays, you're going to force Cincinnati to drive it. And when they drive into the red zone, what happens then? Because that's the big question. Can Cincinnati – let's just put I, – I, I put last night when I recorded this piece for Outkick, I put the number at three. Can you limit the, l- limit the big plays and force Cincinnati to, let's just say, drive the length of the field three times to go get points and win the game over four quarters? That's, that's what the game comes down to if you can limit those chunk yardage plays – where two plays in, you're, they're snapping from the opponent 30-yard line, and then they go for the big strike over the shoulder for a touchdown catch, or they scramble and run. Again, uh, it, it, it starts with limiting those 20- to 40-yard plays, but after that, can the Titans' defense do with where they've been really good, and that's keeping opponents out of the end zone and forcing field goals. And, and the other thing about those 20- to 40-yard plays is they don't have to come in the play. Chad mentioned pass interferences. You've got an unnecessary roughness. You've got a late hit on the sideline. These kind of things that become magnified uh, in the intensity. And I'm not just talking about Titans doing them. The Bengals are the inexperienced mm-hmm. team here who, who might do something dumb. The Titans have a tendency to do them on special teams. Uh, we saw in Houston they had two early that, that helped flip, flip fields against them or took away a big return. So uh, penalty stuff in particular. And we don't know how the crew's going to be. Titans do a very good job of playing to crews, right? The officiating, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, you know, so we know this crew does this. I'm sure they have a breakdown of this crew based on who's on this crew, but this is a piece-together crew. How do they work in unison? You can't, you can't scout, right? But you do know this back judge tends to throw more than this back judge tends to throw less. It's a more complicated scouting report, though, for guys to consider. And I've talked to guys in the past. Some pay a lot of attention to that and try to play to it. Some, you know, don't want to overload themselves with with considering stuff like that. But that's going to be a factor. And we haven't talked this week about officiating. Uh, We usually wind up talking about it after the fact. There's going to be call. We'll, We'll be in here Monday talking about a call or two. Oh, absolutely, and and across the league. Um. Big play capability. The Titans' defense has been much better at the massive explosive plays, the 40-plus plays. Starting the year through uh, weeks one through five, and the big chunks were Seattle and New York against the Jets. They had, they gave up, they've given up 11 total on the season. Seven of the 11 came in the first five weeks. They've only allowed five plays of 40 yards or more 
since week five. Very good. That's very good. Now, they've only allowed 36 plays of 20 yards or more in, in the final 11 games of the season. So, again, taking out the first five games and just looking at what they've done in totality, they've allowed 36 plays of 20-plus. Eight of those plays came against the Houston Texans the last time this team played, the last time the defense played. Some of that could be the big lead at halftime and coming out and whatever they were playing. But those games count too. And, and Burrow and Chase and everybody, I'm, I'm excited to see how they attack the Titans' defense. And finally, I'm, I'm excited to see how Todd Downing does with the arsenal intact. 120 snaps is what we have seen this, uh, this four-pack play. On the screen, you can see it's Tannehill, Henry, A.J., and Julio. Those four players have been on the field together during the regular season for only 120 snaps of over 1,100 plays. And to me, while I think some people are thinking it's going to take them a while to get going, I wonder how Downing uses this to his advantage because while we haven't seen it, neither is Cincinnati, and neither has any opponent for that matter. Chances are if you play the Titans, you didn't see this group on the field together. I think film is hard to find on how they're actually going to deploy everybody together and how they envisioned it when they weren't even trying to practice these dudes in training camp. So um, I think Downing has a chance to add a wrinkle or two that we haven't seen. And a wrinkle, by the way, doesn't have to be some trick play. It can be an alignment. It can be a formation. Uh, it can be um, a type of route that a player's running side-by-side with another starter that we haven't seen because you didn't trust one guy or the other to turn the right way. Again, all these things play a factor into how you go about making your game plan. I'm intrigued to see what Downing does with this entire group together. Yeah, don't be overly patient. Like you say, it could take no, a while. Yeah, don't don't take a while. Go. You don't have time when they, and, and patience. When they have I mean, started I understand fast. running something to set something up later. Something, but, not well, a whole bunch of things. When they have started fast, it has been right out of the shoot play action A.J. Brown. You know, that yes. they, they get A.J. going early, and that turns into a trend of a fast offense. I also... Um, I also wouldn't hate it. I know they want to slow the game down. I wouldn't hate it if they came out and really surprised Cincy with a hurry-up offense early. They don't go tempo often enough for me. A.J. Brown tempo said, is a better way to describe said it. this week, um, I like being involved early. I mean, I think every receiver would say this, but oftentimes after the game, when he's not involved early, he says, well, you know, the game went that way, or I can't complain. He said this week, I like to be involved early. I want the corner that's covering me to know it's going to be a hard day for him. It's going to be a busy day for him. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But that kind of thing, that it's, he's going to have to work, and it's going to be a load. And, uh, you know, that's what you want to hear from a guy like A.J. Brown. I think you want to hear that from every kind of receiver. But when you're hearing it from a small guy or a lean guy or a slight guy, it's a different deal. A.J. Brown's got the, the physicality that makes that a tough assignment that a guy's going to have to deal with that all game. And I think, you know, I don't want to go overboard and say it's a Derrick Henry effect, but the Titans are a big physical football team. And if, if you've got A.J. Brown making a couple early catches on you and dragging you or banging into you, I think um, – you know, you're, you are getting a message sent to you early that you've got a heavy work day in front of you and it's going to be difficult. And I would think the Titans want that. But we've talked about this time and time again, their propensity not to get the ball to him 
early. Almost like they're outfoxing themselves. Like it's too obvious. No reason for it now. No reason for it now. But if you don't get it to him early, you're at least pushing the football to Henry or Julio. At least you can say that. You would hope. Yeah. Coming up, our final thoughts on the playoff matchups, and we'll give our picks on the other matchups going into the divisional weekend on OutKick 360. Time for our picks going into the NFL weekend. Outkick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. It's been a a blast all week long. Monday, we're going to recap everything from the divisional weekend. We'll be back at 3 o'clock Eastern time, 2 o'clock Central on Monday. We'll recap everything that we saw over the weekend and, of course, preview the AFC and NFC championship games Going to be a blast. I feel good about the Titans in this matchup. I uh, said it last uh, yesterday and earlier this week. I just I think there are areas of this game that can play into the Titans' favor as long as they come out and and play the way we know they're capable of playing. We have seen them over the years lay duds um, in in moments like this. I just think that Vrabel and and the makeup of this team is is better than that now. I, I trust that more than I. Trust, you know, the the hot streak of the Bengals to come in and, and shut down the Titans and send them packing. So for that, I, I'm I'm taking the Titans to win. Um, and I, I picked them to cover even at, at FanDuel on this. I'll stay away from a pick. Uh, I feel good about them, but not as good as you do. Um, I think there's, there's a path for Cincinnati here that is not incredibly unlikely. And there's some mojo in that building about first-round playoff games uh, that I know is ancient history. But um, there's some stuff that sticks with franchises that that takes some breaking. Uh, I I think this team can break it, but they need to to go do it. In order to do that, they're going to have to pull off a Baltimore Ravens-like performance um, from an energy factor. Uh, from like the early 2000s. They're going to have to suck the energy out of Nissan Stadium early with something. I, I think that's going to be extremely hard to do. The Titans are going to be juiced and amped. Um, and I don't know that Cincinnati, they need to pull it out of there. I need to, they need to stay in it. They Cincinnati, can't fall behind two touchdowns, but the Titans don't often jump ahead of people. I, I think there's touchdowns. something to the fact that they did everything but go on a parade last week after their playoff win. Um, their head coach... Uh, there's no way Vrabel's handing out game no balls way. at bars. Uh, you know, last week or last year, 2019, after they go on the road and win in Foxborough, they came back and prepared for their next opponent. Yeah, but they're um, different franchises. At different different franchises, but again, the franchise can do whatever it wants. The head coach is out handing out game balls at bars to fans, and they're discussing their first win in 31 years as a franchise, and Burrow's saying this is the standard. The standard for the Titans now has been elevated oh, to a absolutely. point where you bust down the door and you're ready to go. And I, I trust that Vrabel and this group and all the talking they've been doing will be able to back it up. I think there's an emotional factor for the Cincinnati Bengals they had last week. The Titans play into this week. 36-year-old was running by their nickelback two weeks ago. they got younger guys in Cincinnati that can't be doing it this week. Um, 49ers and Packers. I, I, I think this is a... Lower scoring game than what many people are expecting here. I think uh, we're thinking Debo Samuel, Devontae Adams, and I'm thinking more run game oriented with, with uh, the elements. Um, I like both defenses. Green Bay is getting healthier. 
Uh, I mean, while they may be using Whitney Merciless and others in spots, but by the way, Whitney Merciless uh, activated for the game. Um, I'm, I'm expecting what's going to come down to who turns it over and who doesn't. And I trust Aaron Rodgers not to turn the football over. And I'm expecting one or two from the 49ers. It's not going to be all on Jimmy G, but I think I think Green Bay advances in game number two. I think Green Bay advances in game number two as well. I don't know if I'd give five and a half, though. I'd feel more comfortable yeah. uh, with it being a field goal game. So I'd probably play the money line if I was betting on this game. I think Sanford, people are underrating San Francisco and that they know what they're doing they're good. in a game like this. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a quarterback game manager, but you can win a big game with a game manager if you plot things out right and play to your formula. But I'm not betting against Aaron Rodgers at home in, in the first game of the playoffs. It's also, Maybe next week. It's also, um, I've heard people say that, oh, if Green Bay opens up a lead, it's over. It's not. It was 17-7 um, in the first half earlier this year when those two teams met. And Green Bay ended up winning 30-28 to on the last second field goal. I, I think it's a really strong, great game to watch. I'm taking Green Bay to win, and I agree with you on the spread there. Um, Rams and Bucks is intriguing because every time we doubt Tom Brady, he gives us a reason to come in and say, there's no way we're doubting him again. And then and give us a little time. This is, yeah, give us a week and we'll figure out a way. And we figured out a way. It's the Rams performed on Monday night the way they did. And while the Buccaneers handled the, the Eagles, and many people aren't discussing that, they're discussing what the Rams did to Arizona. And now the Rams go on the road. I, I'm intrigued by the storyline of Matthew Stafford and the Rams being all in. And to do it, they're going to have to go through uh, the team that was the last unbeaten team in the NFL, which is Arizona. They then have to go on the road through the, de- the defending champs and, and the GOAT, Tom Brady, and then in all likelihood go to Lambeau and win against Aaron Rodgers and the team that has been anointed the top team in the NFL. I, I, I'm intrigued by the storyline just to get back to the West Coast and play in your home stadium for the Super Bowl. I think, I, I think they go on the road and win. I think Brady's going to get hit more than he likes. He doesn't like getting hit at all. He's going to get hit more than that. Um, and I don't think he's going to find that much downfield because he doesn't have the downfield weaponry that, that he had last year to get him to the Super Bowl. Don't, I'm with the Rams on this, too. I, I'm, I'm most Getting hesitant about this, though. Tampa was second in the NFL in point differential on the season, and they finished drives. Their, their touchdown to field goal ratio is extremely high. If they get close to the red zone or close to the end zone, they're scoring a touchdown. And I think Gronk can find a mismatch in this and can be a huge factor. Um, but again, I'm picking with my brain instead of my heart. I'm going with the Rams because I do think they're playing the best football right now, and they have a formula defensively against a banged-up Tampa front. And then it gets us to the marquee matchup, Mahomes and Allen. Bills on the road against Kansas City. By now, you guys know I took the Bills as my upset. Uh, it's only a point and a half, so if you're picking this game, you're not picking the spread, take the money line one way or the other. I think the Bills go on the road and win. I do, too. I can't get <clears throat> excuse me what Josh Allen just did out of my head and – Patrick Mahomes was nearly as good, but Patrick Mahomes did it in short order. Josh Allen did it start to finish, and uh, I feel like the Bills are peaking, and and they're ready, and uh, I think they're probably coming to Nashville in a week, or or they're going to be hosting. 
it's a tight game, plenty of big plays, and uh, a matchup where I think we see plenty of long drives as well. I would be hesitant to take the over, as intriguing as that looks. I think I would take the under in this um, and, and expect a, a classic matchup between two outstanding quarterbacks. Ultimately, I think it's Josh Allen's year to get over the hump and get past Kansas City and end up playing for an AFC championship game for back-to-back seasons. It's been a fun week. Enjoy the divisional round. We will be back on Monday to recap it all and outkick 360. Don't block the box. Do lock your locks.